And welcome back in time for another episode of 99 <laughs> Potions, the premier fanbite RPG podcast, where this week we will be talking about uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, a game that definitely involves uh, time travel scenarios, uh, various uh, timelines, and other strange things like that. I am one, Steven Strum, joined this week by the ever-powerful Natalie Flores. Hi. Um, I can see why you willingly volunteered to host this mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy for you. Hi. I'm also very <laughs> glad that you're back. Yes, I am back. I uh, had missed an episode due to, I literally can't remember, time. Uh, you in were in another sector. I was yeah. in another sector. Okay. Um, you know, they, they're not allowed to, uh, talk to each other. I was in the ISS, which is its own sort of like special sector, which is actually kind of true in the story of, um, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. But before I get to that, I should get to the ever hilarious John Warren. Hi. Um, yeah, you and I were both touring the International Space Station last week, which is That's really right. wild. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if you had... If you had knocked down my door and held a gun up to me and said, uh, were you on last week's episode of 99 Potions? I would have said, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was I was totally on it. Um, and we talked about XYZ and it was really good and fun. And then it was until this very moment that I realized we had missed last week. So, yeah. Hey, John, back. John yeah. can I confide something like in sure. you? Sure. Same for me. Yeah, I literally I forgot until Natalie said that. I did not remember at all. So. Well, I'm glad y'all don't share the trauma of having to be alone without my RPG buddies. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it was, if there's no trauma involved when Natalie is in charge because that's a great show all by itself, is what I always say. I think it's because it, the amount of Natalie privately just sending mean things to me over Slack <laughs> has just like increased so much over the past few weeks that it's like, oh, okay. I was on Has it really? Potions. Maybe it's the whole daylight no, savings time it, thing. It hasn't. We're just very funny to each other on Slack. Anyway. Oh, that is true. I feel like I've talked to you less in the last week, Natalie because I've just been, and this is true of everybody because I have been trying to buy a house or have bought a house basically and I've been How's dealing that with going? that. That's good so far. I'm getting some people in to reinforce uh, the North Wall, um, which wound up being way cheaper than I thought it was going to be. So, and that's basically it. Like everything else is basically good to go. Um, I just have to wait for everything to close and then I can move in. The worst part right now, and I'm sure John can um, relate to this, is that it's just really, really annoying that it's basically set in stone, but I can't move in yet. And I'm still yeah. stuck in my old crappy place. Buying a house is really bad because um, they basically you just, you know, you have everything set up. And then there's this, this period of time where you're pretty sure that everything could still fall apart, even though <laughs> even though like you don't you can't figure out how it would. So it's uh, mm -hmm. it's a fun it's a fun like little limbo to be in. So oh, let me tell you, I love mm. it right now. Mm. It's definitely done wonders for my psyche mm. in the last uh, two weeks. <laughs> Um, but you know what actually does unironically do wonders for my psyche is talking about 
JRPGs with my good, good pals here on 99 Potions. And uh, the JRPG, as I mentioned, uh, for this week's topic is, uh, I almost said 99 Sentinels. That's too many. It's <laughs> <laughs> way too many Sentinels. Um, but yeah, they don't allow that many. Um, it's 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. And let me get it out of the way right off the bat, because I feel like we don't always do this uh, as well as we could. But this will be a spoiler-y episode. It's uh, maybe not a full-on spoiler cast, but we are going to be talking about this story because if we don't this game is too old at this point to um say anything interesting about it uh <laughs> that like six months after it came out so we need to we need to get into the meat of it but um the reason we wanted to talk about it specifically now is because apparently it just passed the four hundred thousand yeah. unit sales mark mm-hmm. it did which is which is i i don't i don't well, this would have been really professional and cool of me if I had looked it up before the podcast began. But I, I was like, but I, but I, I was like, I saw that figure and I was like, that has to be more than a lot of the other Vanillaware stuff, right? Right. Like it, yeah. it feels feels like it's done better than Dragon's Crown or uh, Odin Sphere. I mean, Odin Sphere has definitely got like a a cult following. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. I, I saw that figure the other day and I was like, oh, wow, that game did better than I expected to, it to. So mm-hmm. right. yeah, that's it's cool. pretty well. Like if I if I had to pick a 2020 game that the consensus has agreed is a quote unquote sleeper hit, I would say people would probably pick 13 Sentinels. Yeah. Rim. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's a drop in the bucket compared to like Call of Duty or whatever. But for a sixty dollar, what is essentially a visual novel with a bunch of RPG components to it, like that's still pretty damn good, I would say. Um, a game that I can't imagine cost a ton of money to make uh, right. for as cool and novel as it is. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, and it is pretty damn cool and novel. Maybe not as novel as I think a lot of people kind of assume it is by virtue of the fact that they maybe haven't played a lot of games of this ilk before, but it is definitely a good one of those. And by one of those, I mean somewhat in the vein of a Rampa or a Virtue's Last Reward, where it is like a very mind-trippy sort of visual novel with very good and unique art style um, set in a world where mechs, are real in the 1980s and fighting uh, giant kaiju who appear to be giant robots at the beginning of the game. Um, (laughs) And then you get the main cast of characters, the 13 Sentinels, if you will, uh, fighting these monsters throughout different time periods and kind of unclear on like how they're traveling through time, why they're traveling through time, why they're being attacked, how this is all going down. And it gets very complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, the two of you have played this game, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I, I have platinumed n- it. I'm one trophy away from a platinum. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Wait. No. Uh, <laughs> Let's go around very, the room then and oh no, go on. Oh no, I was gonna say our very own Greg Miller going coming into platinum, uh platinum <laughs> Aegis Rim. Um no, there was a time, John, where I really did care about um platinum <laughs> trophies, and it was in fact um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to read what Jordan Yeah, I'm not, not going to say that either, but it was very funny. <laughs> but I will say there was a time I cared very much about platinum trophies in uh, PlayStation games. And it was, in fact, during the time that I was listening to the PlayStation podcast that Greg Miller hosted at IGN Beyond. when I was in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond. Yeah. Uh, what a different I era. I never cared era. about them. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that for you, too. I, I remember when we. One when we, brain cell the entire time. I remember when we designed um, 
this is this is getting way too personal but i remember when we designed uh the steam achievements for the game that we made and i do remember just feeling like who gives a fuck the entire time <laughs> doing it? um i mean like jordan jordan did a very good job writing a lot of those but and we had a very fun one where he had to collect a frog from his sewer which is really fun. Oh, that but is a Jordan ass. That's a Jordan uh, achievement. ass achievement. Yeah, but uh, but I do remember being like, well, some of these that weren't fun. I was like, God, I don't care about this. Anyway, Natalie, you're about to say something about going around uh, something real, and something real. Real and important, <laughs> and not and not about my b- bullshit. <laughs> no, no, it's it's an important, but especially because um, just to make sure, John, you have not played. 13 Sentinels, right? That's correct. Yeah. No, I I I took one good look at this plot and I said, nah, fuck no. And uh more than valid. Uh but no, like real the the real answer is like I just I, I don't too know. Too many games. I, I too many games. Too many games. Like I yeah. I love the way this game looks. I was watching um a couple of playthroughs of it earlier and just kind of doing some research, especially for like the mech battle stuff, because I hadn't seen a lot of that in action. Right. Um, this is uh, this is just an absolutely beautiful game. Like I j- I just love the way um, this looks and kind of the, the the jittery animation of some of the walking cycles. And I don't know. There's like s- some stuff about it that I think is really cool. I will probably try to play this at some point because it just seems so interesting in, in a lot of ways but you're also right steven like i think there are actually a lot of games like this this might just be one of the most mainstream ones that right. gets into the consciousness so i've played games like this before and i'm definitely interested in in picking this up at some point but i haven't played it yet gotcha steven what was your experience with 13 sentinels i played it right before it came out i got a review code of it and it was actually it's very funny that you mentioned the mech battles john and how they didn't have a lot of that information out there because prior to release um they had basically only showed like a bunch of images of the 2d art and stuff uh publicly and i couldn't find any indication of how that game actually played like in Mm. any of the promotional materials and so i literally emailed pr and it's just like hey what kind of game is this you don't really (laughs) list a genre or anything i mean obviously genres are so messy and kind of useless to a certain degree but can you give me like any kind of elevator pitch and i got no response um so it's just like i don't know i'll, I'll give this a it's shot like, uh, like, let's let you figure it out <laughs> yeah totally they they definitely you know, they could have said that to me but instead they said nothing so i figured it out my on my own self because i was like well i liked odin sphere i like uh dragon's crown maybe not as much as odin sphere but i like that as well um uh, gave it a shot it is and then i um played it for a little bit wrote about it a little bit and i was like eh, okay i, I kind of see what they're going for here uh, and ended up dropping it for a while, came back way later once it started to get a lot of that mainstream attention to be like, okay, maybe this thing is going to go in a direction that like I didn't expect. And it's definitely true. Yeah. Um, I think it makes, uh, and I beat it, obviously. I think the game makes a sort of weak first impression. Like it's mm. it's got a very good look. Right. Mm-hmm. But like tonally, the imp- like the first impression I got from it was uh, very rough because it was like a lot of that classic uh, vanilla wear cheesy female character designs with just yeah. 
massive gazongas um, yeah. on this one nurse particular in particular. Yeah, there, there's an episode of, of my other podcast that airs every Friday. It's called Thanks for the Knowledge with John Warren. You should go listen to it. It's very good. It uh, is but, a good one. But like, I, I think it was maybe six weeks ago, I had Imran on before Imran started with us. Um, it was really <laughs> funny. Maybe that was more than six. It was, might have been like 10 weeks ago. Um, and, and I had asked him about just games from 2020 that were that flew under everyone's radar and, and he mentioned this one and that one of the immediate things he said was just like yeah this girl at the beginning has big bazungas and it doesn't really make sense and i was like okay so the big bazungas just keep coming up huh all right um, they but yeah they really put it in your face and in the face of the main character. That's one of the big things is like the you can kind of play 13 Sentinels in various different orders. Like right. a lot of the chapters are kind of in your like whatever order you want. But the uh -huh. one that they open you up with is this like one kind of like I'm a little shonen boy kid and I'm here to the most be boring the central one. character. The boring one. Um and there's like a whole thing where he has like to go see this nurse lady in her office or whatever. And the way that this sh scene is framed is like this young high school boy standing at eye level with these tits bigger than his head <laughs> yeah. the entire time. And he's just like staring straight ahead into them sure, uh, like six sure. inches away. Sure. And this is like the third character you meet in this game. And it's All just right. like. Okay, well, like I, I bet I know where this is going. I've played some other Vanillaware games before, and I know tonally how bad they can get with this. And what it actually turns out is, like, actually, that is the worst it gets throughout the entire game. And in, in fact, it's not. It's it's gets way better about that stuff later on. And it doesn't really like that thing doesn't really come up again in the game. It's like at the time I was think I was describing it to Natalie, basically saying it. It feels like they put their like worst foot forward in an attempt to like get <laughs> a bunch of uh, fucking nerds. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. I guess that was gonna be my point. Is I'm like, well, they were trying to get their own fan base in the door, right? You know what I mean, they're like they're picking up a game. They're like, oh yeah, okay, we're in for bazungas. The RP. PG and mm -hmm. here we go. To be um, honest, I still think that's the audience that they ultimately pander to at right, the end. Yeah. I, would, um, I would love to know more about that. Yeah. So like in terms of my experience, um, I'm feeling very Steven uh, for episode, what was it? Episode 35, Really Default 2 with Kat Bailey, where Steven <laughs> was desperately trying to not talk about how much they disliked that game. Um, that's me right now. <laughs> oh, you is, really don't like it. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's really weird because I remember, so as I started playing it, I started playing it and I, I beat it in like a week um, over my winter break. Because uh, that was like the only time that I had to really sink my teeth into a game proper. So I was like, okay, this is one that I've been wanting to get to for a while now. I wrote in my game of the year list that um, there were some honorable mentions that I'm sure I would have ended up liking and including in that list uh, if, you know, I actually got around to them in 2020. Uh, I wrote 13 Sentinels in there. That did not turn out to be the case. Um, but I did like it a lot at the beginning. Like, it was this thing where I was so hooked on it. I just 
I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, I'm so excited to play this. I would tell Steven like, oh my God, this is actually really good. I, I knew that I would <laughs> like this. I and- think it was you who got me to play it again because you kept DMing me all like, no, I think you, you should play this. I love this. I think you had already played it. I think I you had, had already I- played okay. it by then. I think so. But also I have the memory of a goldfish. So like, don't take me at like face value. Um, but I... It's funny that we're talking about it making the worst impression and putting its worst foot forward at the beginning because for me, it's actually the opposite. So I got myself to just, I looked at the bazongas and I was like, it's fine. I'm, this is nothing new. This is nothing that I have not seen before. Um, and I convinced myself it was still fine. Like, when the same character has a new different model in which she wears this leather tight suit and she is purposely posed in a way that like it just constantly looks like she is like she has her hands on her hips and she has her neck at the most painful angle for someone like me with neck problems what is this character's name i want to okay all right okay sorry so sorry there we go thank you (laughs) yeah so she's doing she's wearing and doing the um avengers 2012 black widow (laughs) costume and pose Uh where the like this is a classic like marvel thing where all the female characters in marvel uh posters and stuff like that are always turning with their backs facing towards the camera but then turning their bodies to look forward so you can see their butt and their boobs at the same time yeah um this is like a from like about 10 years ago i feel like this is less common now but 10 years ago this was like in every movie poster in every uh fucking action film ever yeah. made yeah. First, um, of all, and, yeah first of all i'll be really curious to know if uh the thunder that just happened outside my house picks up mm-hmm. on the audio uh i hope i do not lose power because we haven't had a big lightning storm in a while but um yeah no this lady's standing really uncomfortably yep yeah okay yep. so I, I i put uh-huh oh i was just gonna say i mean like i think i speak for natalie and myself where we, we don't have like problems necessarily no. like, we're so with, used to this like we this is not this something is Stephen and i don't have extensive experience seeing with right. the games that we right. particularly like um but and it's a it's, it's a thing yeah. of context too it's like you know like whatever like be horny be cheesy and stuff like that i like horny stuff sometimes but it's like com- mm-hmm. it's it's a matter of tonal consistency and being out of place in the product that you're in um, right. which is a right. thing that you know vanillaware sure. struggles with in particular yes like um, i adore bayonetta for example right. sure 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 sure. but that game's going for that like it's committing yeah. to it you know mm-hmm. um and so it's it's funny because you know it, it does that uh, but otherwise, it started off super strong for me. And then every day as I kept getting on to play more of it, I was like, wait, I'm feeling like a decline in enthusiasm. And then at one point, I just reached like, oh, I just want to fucking finish this. Like, right. oh, my God, this is like really tedious. And ultimately, it the same thing happens with Persona 5 where, well, not even because I liked Persona 5 a lot more by the end before my feelings started to take a downturn. But for this, I actually think it's the most disappointing game of 2020 for me. I would go as far as to certainly say that. Um, as the days progressed, I only felt more like I I don't regret playing it. So it's not quite that I wasted my time, but I'm just kind of like, wow. So people, and and I don't blame people. And and of course that's like a subjective opinion, but this was positioned to me as 
the weird near automata of 2020. It's so oh, unexpected, it's, so it's riveting. Yeah, so <laughs> riveting, so philosophical and deep and all of these things. And you have to play it because you can't <laughs> sleep on it like you slept on near automata. And I was like, okay, shit, I'm gonna check this joint. So I don't sleep on on it like I slept with near automata for like a few months. Um, this does not reach... The worst moments of Nier Automata are a hundred times better than the best moments in this, in my opinion. I don't think this is really all that... I don't think it's... I think I mean, it's just more confusing than novel and weird. I... I just really don't like it. Ultimately, I have so many problems with it and that and those problems have only increased my negativity as the time has gone on. So when I see people recommending it, you know, I never say anything cuz like subjective opinion and I'm always going to respect that, but like silently in my corner of like gremlin grumpiness, I'm kind of like, "No, go play something else." But I see why I see why people like this. I just I'm very much like Steven in the Bravely Default episode. I'm just kind of like, I, I really don't like this. Why do people like it? Uh, I will say one thing is like, which is if people were telling you that this was anything like Nier Automata, like you got done dirty real bad. So <laughs> because, dirty. Yeah. Because this game is like Nier Automata to like the happening being to, I don't know, Citizen Kane or something like that in terms of like, yeah, I guess they both have twist endings. Uh, sure. Fine. Whatever. Uh, but this game is like cheesecake, cheese like uh, ball kind of uh, corny romance story um, with it with a twist, but it's like it has nothing to say about any of that stuff. Like near Automata in and near the first game, uh, from what I understand about it, are like grappling with some philosophical questions and stuff. And like you know, it's arguable how successful it is in all the t- all the time. But those games are at least trying to um, explore things and have things to say about like human nature and whatnot. This is like a soap opera. This is like yeah. this is a soap this opera. Is, yeah. This is a very a, pr- a very pretty, very interesting soap opera. But at the end of the day, it is a soap opera thing, especially by the ending, which is the after. Like I like the middle of this game a lot, and, but the ending is where I tend to think it's like, oh, okay, this. This didn't really stick the landing necessarily because it's just like it you said, it's too many different ideas overlapping on top of each other by the end. Um, it's like one twist after another, after another, after another. Um, and I have played other visual novels that have good twists in them that don't do this. And so my expectations had been set, I think, a little bit better because I have come off of Rampa and um, the Zero Escape games, which yeah. do a lot of things that this game is doing, but just much more fluidly. Yeah. Much more cleanly. Because, I mean, I... I came in with expectations of those games too. Uh, you know, Virtue's Last Reward and 999. Um, the first two entries in the Zero Escape series, those are two of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. Um, I'm not as big on Danganronpa, but I do like the second game a lot. And I absolutely understand the appeal and have liked those games for enough. Um, but this, <laughs> I, I, was, I was told it would be even better than Zero Escape. And I was like, you know, I don't... First of all, I never thought that because Zero Escape is kind of like 
not counting the last game, uh, Zero Time Dilemma. We don't talk about that it. Is, Zero yeah, Time we don't acknowledge that it exists. Um, that is sort of the peak of what video games, video game storytelling for me can do in terms of how it plays with the medium and right. the incredible twists that those games have and the plot and the story and the characters. It's just all so fantastic to me. I have been a fan of Kotaru, uh, Kotaro Ochikoshi for like, uh, 10 years pretty much so um, I am familiar with his work and you know I'm, I'm familiar with the quality that I expect from those games so I from the from the get-go I was kind of like mm, doubt you know meme but you know I went in with an open mind anyway and when I think about this game I just think about how it has an incredibly extensive wiki, the most extensive I might have ever seen in a game or outside of a game. And it like needs you, that You mean inside wiki. the game. It's like a codex, yes. right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's basically and, an entire third part of the game. Right. Yes, it's like because adventure the game is, and there's the mechs and then this is this other thing. Yes, there's, there's like a, a remembrance yeah. mode, which is the mode where you do the whole visual novel segment and you just got, you know, the story and you go through the paths of all these 13 characters. There is a destruction mode, which is um, the mode where you do the tactical, you know, gameplay, which it's I actually like an RTS. Really like. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it is. It's actually, I actually really like, we kind of got into that later on, yeah. but I actually really like the battles. Um, some people think they're the least interesting part of the game, but I actually had fun with them, even if I had my qualms. And then there is the analysis mode, which is a third segment where it's basically just like, <laughs> like sort of two wikis uh, and you can navigate them. And <laughs> it, one is like a codex, like you get a specific entry for, um, every character, every, you know, like little detail, every plot point. And then you have one that uh, automatically rearranges the information that you, because all of this is like, all the visual novel segments are very out of order. You're not getting this in chronological order by any means. You are getting this in, you know, some characters get locked, uh, get their paths locked at certain points. And then you have to jump to another character who might be in a completely different quote unquote timeline with different characters or, you know, sometimes a character that shouldn't be there is there. Um, so this third large wiki organizes everything in a chronological order and basically does a whole timeline for you. And <laughs> I, when I think of this game, I think of it because I'm like, I should not need the world's biggest wiki known to man to understand this game and I right. shouldn't need it and still not understand it after I finish all of it. Can I, can I maybe just paint so for the person on this podcast that has not played this game, but has read about it. And for you, dear listener at home who might be listening to this, have no intention of playing the game or don't care about spoilers. I do just want to say the the problem with this game being complicated is that there are 13 shocking uh kind of main <laughs> characters and some peripheral characters but there's also a 1985 time period, a 1945 time period, a 2025 time period, a 2065 time period, and a 2105 time period and those seem to interact with each other with impunity. Like yeah. <laughs> it, there is like a lot going on with the back and forth and this kind of, like you alluded to Steven, this kind of like unclear way that these, these time periods are intersecting with each other. Um, at least at the, at the outset. And like, 
that really tripped up a lot of people from what I've read. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that ever, does the, does the, what is it called again? Remembrance mode? Yes. Does that, does the remembrance mode actually clear things up or make things so complex? It, it might actually hurt that process. Uh, The latter for me. Um, Okay. I'll let Steven go after me, but I need to end and get my feelings out of the way. Um, <laughs> for me, <laughs> this is one of those episodes where Natalie doesn't just let everyone sort of speak and she, you know, <laughs> agrees or puts in her thoughts. This is when she's really opinionated. Um, so it only makes things more complicated. There is an initial wonder and amazement that you can easily feel when you're like, wow, this game is really going to balance 13 characters and their stories and individual arcs um that novelty wears off the moment that you realize that there's very little to no effort put into the female characters writing Mm. um and that the the twists of the story and how they are delivered hinge entirely on the concept of the red herring, which like for anyone that might not know, which I'm sure not many people, but a red herring is sort of like a a fake out sort of thing. Like if if I'm dropping a red herring in front of you, it's like, I'm telling you that this is supposed to be something, but it's actually something else. Um, So these are utilized in a lot of murder mysteries that I've been familiar with, like in terms of like video games, like Umineko, Higurashi, those like, you know, Danganronpa, Virtue's Last Roar, and all those, you know, games. Um, but they're used sparingly. They are not the foundation of, you know, what the mystery is. But in this game, it is just red herring upon red herring. So it's like, for me, it was so often about playing this character's route, finding out something interesting, but tampering my excitement and any interest that I had because I was like, oh, well, this is probably going to get proven to be false anyway. So I have to also not just manage my expectations and my feelings over a revelation and how a story is unfolding, but I also have to mentally account for the space that is yet to be filled later on where I'm like, okay, this is probably false. I'm probably going to find out the truth later on, like again, quote unquote. And I have to make space for that mentally to just allow myself to not think that this is actually the answer. So I kind of, I went along with it without really processing the information and being like, okay, this is information that is useful for me to really have. I don't know if you felt like that, Stephen, but I felt like after a point, after I realized the that this was the foundation of the game and its story, I just kind of like, I just like, um, I, I don't fucking know why this character is doing this, but I'm just going to go with it, you know, because if I bother theorizing about it, I'm just going to get told that it's not the case. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, my thing with the with the like overarching plot of this thing is that the people who played, I guess, Vanillaware, who made this game, definitely had played games like Danganronpa and um, Zero Escape, and had seen how popular those were, and had seen that like a big a part of the appeal of those games was um, the way that those games can so deftly pull the rug out from under you Mm. and completely like surprise you with like the scale of the problem that you're facing. Mm -hmm. And then they, 
instead of like having a story that they wanted to make around that, they are like having a, you know, a story that they wanted to tell and then making a game around that. It very much feels like they made a game that was trying to do one of those things because they had seen how popular that had been and like tried to, you know, wrap their, their very pretty art around it, which is what they do. And because by the time you get through this game, what ends up mattering, like what ends up happening is you discover that none of it matters. None of the stuff that you've <laughs> experienced makes any difference whatsoever uh, because like multiple times over because it's like that like every individual twist is basically just revealing to you that like none of the stuff is real i'm just going to come out and say it basically because dancing around it is going to make it too difficult to say but basically yeah. there are no multiple time periods in in this game sure. um what you end up finding out is that um this is a generation ship that has been sent from a dying earth to the stars to save the human race mm-hmm. and all the different time periods are different wards of uh, of this generation ship designed to mimic various time periods in human history so that people can go and live in those different pockets right. according to their whims. But then <laughs> that's this is where it gets like way too over the top because then you find out that that's not even true. What it actually is is everybody is in cryogenic stasis on this uh, ship and their brains are in a matrix-like dream world that is meant to look like uh, various different time periods throughout history. So they like, it's not even a real world in the first place. So it's like the one characters you play the as are their clones. Yeah, the characters you play as are their clones who are, like I said, like their brains are hooked up to these machines. Yeah. Uh, Jordan points out that the Gazungas aren't even real. It's true. Even real. 2D not is all I real. need, says 13 Sentinels. He just rim. Um, and like at that point, like once we, once we've um, completely erased like the the like level of stakes and like oh if you're protecting this city from these like big giant monsters and then you realize well the monsters aren't real and the people we're protecting aren't real so at that point I just like stopped caring about like the nature of the world and just like zeroed more in on like caring about the characters and their interactions and those are fine and I think what this game ends up fulfilling for me. Um, is a very similar place as like Dream Daddy did, which is like, oh, oh interesting. I'm, yeah, like it, it's a situation where it's like, oh, it's a very, very pretty one of these games that is building off of a lot of other stuff that people have set up in the past, right? And isn't doing it. It's kind of toothless about it in the way that Dream Daddy <laughs> uh, is, yeah. But it makes it a really good entry point, especially because it is so pretty, and that is going to make this game more approachable to a certain like. Uh, class of player who would maybe not who would maybe like discard a visual novel out of hand uh, they will maybe look at this and be like oh this looks interesting because the art you know grabs their attention and so it's like oh okay I think this this serves a purpose it serves a good purpose and at the end of the day it's a very schmaltzy soap opera-y type story but at the same time like if this gets more people interested in like, okay, now you can play Virtue's Last Reward. Now you can play Rampa V3 or something like that because you have, you know, you have dipped your toes in this genre. I think that serves a purpose to, unto itself. That And on top of that, like I know, Natalie, you have your problems with the uh, portrayal of some of the uh, women in the game. But like this is also a game that has a named 
speaking like genderqueer character that is, I think, handled pretty well. Like yes. who is like the designer of this dream world, who is like one of the one of the major characters. And the entire time I was playing the game, I was just like, this motherfucker's gonna die, aren't they? They're gonna fucking <laughs> kill this character. They have one queer character in this game, and they're gonna fucking kill them. There's actually two. They're, they've got uh they're yeah. also dating a man. Um, you find out at one point, and has a lot of very cute interactions with that with them. They're the and best I'm, couple in uh, the game. We're gonna talk the about couple. the forced romance and the like astronomical levels of that in this game probably or at least i'm gonna talk about them and y'all will have to pretend <laughs> that you agree with me or like listen to me go on and on oh, but that's fine. this game first of all yes super pretty um that cannot be taken away from this game it is why i played this game and i think you know like I've seen a lot of pretty games, um, so much of the indie space as someone who really likes to just be immersed in that space and report on it and cover it. And also since I'm about to wrap up my PR internship in the indie space, like having pretty art is so incredibly essential to getting attention for a game. It can make or break basically like an indie game's like first impression on right. people. Um, and so this is not an indie game, but in terms of like how important a beautiful art direction is, like that is what got me to play this game. Um, but I also, I also really agree with that because if there, I mean, I love visual novels. Visual novels are probably my favorite genre of um, video games. But something that I've recently learned is that PR and like developers will often go to great lengths to avoid calling things a visual novel, even right. if they are yeah, visual they novels. Like this is absolutely a visual novel, but you will not find that in the description it's for not the on the box. Right, you right. will see yeah. like an adventure game with like diverging paths and 13 different story routes and whatnot, but you will not and see that this is called a t visual novel TM. <laughs> one one of the most crucial things about this game beyond just the art, which makes that good first impression, I think like another thing that like helps this thing act as a backdoor like entry to get people into visual novels is that you control a character on screen. You yes. have like, you have direct control of a character and you barely do anything with them. Like you move from left to right across like six, feet of in-game real estate yeah. at any given time <laughs> but just that little thing that little like uh, element of control and like making it so that people aren't just interacting with menus like they would be in a lot of like older styles of visual novels i think is such a uh, an auger for people's mental barriers on like yes. what can be like an adventure game what can be a visual novel i mean and th at the end of the day they're kind of the same thing and this game just like mm -hmm. presents it in a way that is much more approachable to a mainstream player and it makes me yes. think like this game is just not for me and you natalie because we're already sold on that mm -hmm. kind of thing like as I a agree. concept you know yeah absolutely i actually agree with that a lot and yeah i just i think it I think it signals a very interesting change for visual novels where like we are seeing, of course, every year that technology for video games only gets even more mystifyingly incredible and the things that we can achieve with video games, that list only grows. Um, and so it's it's funny because like when you think of visual novels, like they have a, a sort of very set... Um, way of functioning like it's text-based just hours of hours upon reading or dialogue um very little if any combat you have some decision making but that is the core of a visual novel and so i think developers 
who want to make visual novels have had to think differently when it comes to um, using like the improved technology that we're getting in games to create new experiences. Like, like I don't know how to phrase it correctly right now, but like I'm thinking if I'm making an action game, it's kind of easy for me to get ideas just from the technology and like the capacity, you know, like automatically more beautiful graphics, more photorealistic graphics, um, you know, like lens flare and all those things and uh, deeper combat systems, all those like jargoning terms. Um, but in terms of visual novel, you, you're a lot more restricted because visual novels don't really tend to have much of those things. Um, Am I making sense? I don't know if I'm making really sense, but um No, I mean that's what this game is doing, right? Is it's it's trying to introduce like various avenues. It's it's part of why the like destruction mode, which is the most RPG part of this game, and it's why it's on this show, is in this game at all, right? Is it's mm-hmm. like so that they can say to people, look, there's combat. And it's the most like bare bones, visually bare bones, like stripped down. It looks like a Vectrex game. It looks like that. Um 80s arcade Star Wars game where you're mm-hmm. like doing the trench run in the X-Wing. Um, it, it's just like very bare bones in that way, but it's actually very fun. Uh, it was the one thing I was the most, as somebody who's already bought in on the idea of a story-based game like this, it was the part where I was just the most like, oh, did they just throw this in here to get people's attention? Because they got to say, that, well, you can destroy stuff in it. And it's actually like a really fun, satisfying thing. They do a lot with a very little in the RPG element of this game. Yeah, um, I, I know that at first when I saw that mode, I was like, are they just not confident enough in just presenting the visual novel aspect? But no, I actually, like, like I turned around on it really quick because I yeah. quickly noticed that, and this is where being extremely bad at video games comes very useful for analysis. Um, <laughs> I noticed that it was just so easy. Like I, I had to change it from easy mode to normal mode and it was still very easy. And I was just kind of like, okay, they, they put enough effort into this to compel you to, you know, have a little bit of respite from all the reading and all the dialogue and whatnot. But it's, it's very clearly not the main point of the game. It's very much obviously just, a, you know, this is a, a break from the intense narrative right. um and and while i do think it it goes on for it's dragged out way too much so like basically you have to fight within different battles and like there are different um how are they called uh, i think they're called uh locks no are they called locks no I, um what are you referring to yeah okay so so the the waves, uh, the waves of enemies. So like oh, each, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're split up into different. Those battles all take place in the span of, I believe, like less than a day, right? Because essentially yeah. the the story, the point of the sentinels is that the longer that you use them, um, the easier it is for them to kill you because you're running out of the energy needed to use them. They like overload your brain if you use them too frequently. And yes, the the way that the like story bits are built is that like all the 13 different characters, you are seeing the like events that lead up to them eventually joining this final battle. And then the events of the destruction mode are like the epilogue to all of the visual novel components, but it's told out of order because you can play the destruction stuff right away if you want, or and it will get you at various points and say, 
like, hey, you need to play 15% more of the story bits before you can do the combat. But um, the way that it is like broadly structured is the visual novel stuff happens. And then each one of those, when you complete 100% on any given character's um, storyline, it ends with them summoning a mech. And then mm-hmm. the events of um, the destruction mode are are the stuff of all of them coming together in those mechs to fight the final battle against um, the big bad robot waves, um, which yeah. is like you like you said very satisfying. It also gives us the like incredibly good moment of like towards the very end of it, where which doesn't make any sense because it's all a digital <laughs> world. I don't really know how this works out, but basically there's this fight where. A uh, AI character is <laughs> helping you all. Uh, an AI character who, in the world of the digital simulation, is pretending to be a, a like a Japanese idol, like a singer. Right. And she uh, is kind of the person who brings a lot of these people together, or one of the people who brings all these people together to fight the uh, robots. And <laughs> in this final battle, she's like, "Hey, I'm in a satellite orbiting." the um, this uh this situation and once like my my satellite goes uh on the other side of the planet i think it's because she's in a literal satellite that is orbiting the planet that the generation ship is supposed to be landing yes, on I, yes. I think that's the premise yeah so she's like hey when my satellite goes on the other side of the planet will you'll lose signal with me for like two hours and i won't be able to to help you so you'll have to be fighting straight for two hours straight um and they're like okay well that sucks but we'll we'll deal with it and when you get back we'll we'll win this battle so they just have to like you know last for two hours and they're like okay well tell tell us when you are about to 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 indicate to us when you will be losing signal why don't you sing us that song that you sing as like the idol uh character until you you know fade away or whatever so she like you're doing this like big giant RTS battle with all these like cool robots and stuff like that as this like J-pop song is playing I over the entire that. battle. That <laughs> and it's really like a fun. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I can I just do some rapid fire questions for y'all? Yeah. Yes. Who, who's Fluffy? Fluffy is this cat that uh, my one's favorite character before I realized how absolutely horrible her writing was, Megumi, um, she meets and the cat tells her to essentially purge these witches of a curse with by shooting them with a gun, mm. which is actually infused with nano machines. Mm. Um, so, John, does that all make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I decided that this is one of many questions that will have an answer like this, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> They're doing a Madoka Magica thing. Sure. Yeah. What they're kind of doing, but then it turns uh, out except that except they- with like really bad writing for the women involved. I mean, I'm, well, I'm, actually, but, yeah. Arguably, both, I don't both know. Both of them, the yeah. Also does great. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I would say Megumi is is probably better. They're doing a Madoka Magica, like it's a, it's a magical girl story with like a talking cat, but the cat is an asshole, basically. Mm, yeah. Okay. Uh, but then it turns out to be the, that the cat is actually not evil. The cat is actually good. Cool. Let me read this sentence uh, to you from the official Wikipedia post of the thing, and I want someone to explain it to me. Mm-hmm. They are later seen by Morimura, who Karabe learns is administering an unknown medication to some students. What is yeah. the unknown medication to some students? It's like a mind wipe drug, okay. right? It's supposed to like the erase one that Ryoko drinks. I don't know. I have no idea. It's I'm the just one telling she's giving the, them as a nurse. She's okay. like, giving right? Them, yeah, yeah, yeah. She. Oh, it, it's no. It's not a mind wipe thing. It's not a mind wipe drug. It's 
a thing that is supposed to keep your mind wipe from taking effect because piloting the mechs mm-hmm. is like slowly erasing their memories. Yeah. Gotcha. And she's giving them drugs, which turn out to not be real drugs because again, it's, it's, it's a digital. simulation. Digital it's digital. Drugs. So, so all of this falls apart under scrutiny anyway. But and also basically, it plays an important part that like the protagonist is not actually Jiro Karabe, but is actually like someone else. And she knows that, but you don't until like midway through. <sighs> yeah, because he gets like his his bu- his brain gets copied. There's like a there's two copies of his brain. There's an adult version <laughs> of him, and then there's a child version of him that, be- <laughs> that basically diverge and become two different people. Okay. Because uh, he was so one of the ones that was start. most affected by the Sentinels in the real fight. And so in order to save his life, they had to make a clone of him. Yeah. Okay. What's oh, universal yeah. control? Ah. I think that's the satellite, right? Universal control is sort of like... That was universal control. Sorry, that was my laundry machine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't hear it. So what that just sounded like is that someone rewired your brain to like have a different definition uh-huh. of universal control for a second. You were like short circuit universal control. I mean, that's literally how universal control works in the game, right? Okay. Like, universal control is a program that basically, like, mm-hmm. anytime anybody in the simulation starts to realize that it's a simulation, it like rejiggers reality it's like when the agents in the matrix okay like change something in the matrix and then deja vu happens it's like right. that. Yeah. yes it is okay. an ai supercomputer that just is dedicated to preserving the simulation okay now i've got a i've, I've got a really uh, this is a legit question there are all these time periods mm-hmm. 1985 is such an iconic period in japan it's a lot of like um, consumer goods are kind of exploding on the global scene. It's really like a time where Japan is becoming a global power again, like very, very prominently. And that's really interesting. But they also pick the months and years after World War II with the devastation. There's all this cultural shifting that's happening in Japan at the time. Now, my question to both of you is does this game make any sort of comment about those things or are those just basically cherry picked time periods from from this from this uh from this game? Oh it, mm-hmm. go ahead, Natalie. Oh, I was gonna say that it I don't know how successful it is at actually like saying something about it, but it does okay. delve into um the fact that the kaiju um are used to fight against an impending attack from the U.S., right, Stephen? Right. Like, they... So, as part of the simulation, like, explaining, like, uh, hey, because they have to put into context why these giant robots are happening all over the place. Right. And so, like, a couple of the characters are Japanese military officers, and they are told that the robots are weapons being developed to to fight the US military like oh, in World War II they're like okay. we're losing we're going to lose this war but we've got a secret weapon that we're going to use and that's like okay. the the backdrop but it they don't like it it very quickly like okay. moves into a different space I was just um, curious because yeah. like like when I when I saw those two dates they jumped out at me as being like those are very like important periods in the history of of Japan and so I just mm-hmm. was like okay I didn't know if this game was making any sort of uh, allusions to those things, or if it was just kind of like, no, these are two periods people are familiar with anyway. Uh, here's the here's the fucking satellite, and here's the cat, and here's the AI, and wow, look at those boobs. So I just didn't know if it was uh, 
important. Or not. I, I, well, I wouldn't say they have a ton to say about it, but like the okay. 80s, the, the thing that they do most of the 80s setting really is like they do a lot of movie references and stuff and they like frame to the characters like because oh, so that Megumi storyline is like a very much a Madoka Magica thing. There's mm-hmm. another character who's going through an E.T. thing where she finds like a little robot that she thinks is an alien and sh- she's Named like constantly, BJ, right? Yeah. BJ, yep. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, that she is like pr- like hiding and protecting and she's like kind of obsessed with like UFOs and conspiracy theories because she reads a bunch of books like remember Unsolved Mysteries would have been on air at the time or whatever of so all the characters yeah, so all the characters in this like conceptualize these different events happening around them by comparing them to various media that is like very thinly veiled references to media that was existing in, in those time periods. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Any other uh, questions, John? No. Y'all have done a great <laughs> job with my rapid fire questions. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, at the end of the day, I think this is just kind of a cheesy sitcom romance thing that is like very highly produced and like is a good intro point for a lot of people. And also, it is hard for me not to have a somewhat of a soft spot for a game that is like, here's uh, here's a romance story that has like various different romances in it. And the cutest, like most organic romance in the thing is a genderqueer character and a man um, getting together uh, throughout this that don't like... I was so convinced, man. The bar is so fucking low at this point. It's I was so, so convinced that like one one or both of them was going to be sacrificed to like for the greater good or whatever. They would have right. to kill themselves to save the world or whatever or or stay behind while a bomb went off or something because that always happens. And it's like, no, they're just like corny, cute, goofball couple that like um, has That's a good. bunch of good interactions throughout the game and is All like right. a huge part of it. So you feel that they did it well? Because like I know a few people who feel like the writing for those characters and their relationship, like the writers were getting cold feet. They were kind of like, oh, let's come into it. Ah, oh, no, a little scared. Oh, back and forth. Um, but did you feel that they were handled really well overall? I don't know. I'd have to look at those people's um, interpretations of this. And that gets mm-hmm. into a larger conversation about yeah. like how I think both um, a what the what the bar is for queer representation like this in media and also for like, you know, getting into the wading into the discourse around how critics engage with that sort of stuff. That is mm-hmm. a much right. bigger conversation than I want to have right now. Yes. Yeah, um, I but at the same time, I was just like sure like yeah they they go back and forth on a bunch of stuff but they go back and forth on all the different characters romances throughout this game in various weird ways yeah but at the, at the end of the day like i'm i'm glad that those characters just get to exist uh together and like don't um like i said like aren't like burned as fuel for plot and also like aren't traumatized and like whatever like mm-hmm. I, i'm down for stories that deal with that sort of thing like that but this is not that game this is this is a right. this is a cheesy corny sitcom or not sitcom uh uh soap opera romance and the fact that they get to exist in the space of a sit uh god damn it That's can't right. stop saying sitcom <laughs> it's okay uh soap opera Man, romance reveals like, your true feelings on 13 sentinels <laughs> yeah so it's a fucking joke is what i'm saying a sitcom you know <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> I like that like they get to exist in that same space because it's not a thing that we get to see in main, especially a thing that is designed for mainstream appeal here. It's not a thing we get to see very okay. often. Right. I mean, the moment that I. Oh. oh, no, no, please. I was just going to ask you if you felt the same way. Oh, um, I mean, I, I'm not like the voice of authority for this kind of thing, but I do remember just 
first seeing them and being like okay like that that bracing of yourself that you do because uh-huh. you expect it to go really obviously wrong and i won't say that they pull it off entirely perfectly like i can totally see why some people feel like they don't commit to the couple as much as the rest um but i personally felt it was the most touching and authentic relationship out of the cast it like had the most so like all these characters by the end of this game you have 13 characters right um like i think what? all but one <laughs> fuck, you know, I gotta go back to my notes. Fuck, 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 fuck. 13 um, characters, okay. Fine. So you have 13 characters and like all of them, off. they all pair off essentially. So like there are like six couples essentially and it's really weird because they just neatly pair off these characters with one other like person and it's just more or less yeah yes it's so it's so weird and it's so mechanical and it's so it is the only game and maybe even the only story where i've been like i need so much less romance than this i am sick of the romance i hate this like can 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 a boy and a girl here please just be friends like (laughs) can we not have this can we Um, not please yeah i mean because that's what the story the like that's why i think the the um mechanical parts of the plot with the simulation and the like time travel but it's not really time travel stuff i think that's why that falls apart because at the end of the day what this game wants to be is just like a feel-good romance at the end and like that is a little bit you know it it comes together extremely neatly like you said like there's 13 playable characters but then the uh one of the characters who who so jordan asks who ends up being the one single person (laughs) one of the characters pairs off with an npc um oh wow so it's okay so it's just perfect pairs i can't believe they i can't believe they they zoomed right past the opportunity to create like this giant polycule on like a a (laughs) desert planet or whatever no they're just pairing everyone off fine Fine, um, Vanillaware. Right. Oh my but, god, it's in the name. Vanillaware. <laughs> Holy shit. That, that's the thing about it though, is just like that that is one of that is kind of a thing that I appreciate. Like as a part of a greater, like part of a greater tapestry of media, it's like, yes, like the the, the characters who are queer should also be allowed to just like be in sort of like uncomplicated, neat sure. um, popcorn mm-hmm. uh, fiction like this. And like, I don't need to take, ev- take a scalpel to absolutely yeah. every kind of romance that I find. That makes and sense. honestly, I hadn't played a game that was like a, a, a neat tied up with a bow romance sort of story like that in a long time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Cause most games that have romances try to be messy intentionally, which is yeah. fine and good. But again, like it, other p- people get, all kinds of like, you know, neat tied up with a bow, romantic comedy, romantic story type things that like right. where everybody winds up happy in the end in other media and other fiction. So like, why shouldn't, you know, these characters get to do right. that too? You know, and a, and a lot of games too with, with romance, there is like a mechanical complication too of like, yeah. you have to make sure you see this cutscene or you make this choice or whatever. And that's, I, listen, I know being in a relationship is about making a lot of specific choices or whatever. I'm not saying you could just be on autopilot, but I think you're right. Like, I kind of get what you're saying about, like, something unfolding in kind of an uncomplicated way. Like, sometimes it just do be like that. And it's not yeah. like it, it's, it actually makes relationships seem 
weirder than they are to uh, needlessly complicate them. So that yeah. that makes sense. I mean, I I, mean, I can see that. I haven't played it, and maybe if, when I play it, I'll I'll totally disagree. But it's like it's that it sounds that sounds legit, and it makes total sense to me. So, um, so. I disagree wholeheartedly. Okay. All right, Natalie. Let's go. <laughs> because for me, if every relationship here was modeled like the queer relationship that we are alluding to that has an actual, like, has actually, like, good writing between, like, two characters who fall in love and, like, that is explored like that would be fine for me but the case is that for basically every other couple in this game for example there is one couple that literally gets together in the last the very last scene after the whole game you see the female character being like oh dude you're gross like you're so (laughs) annoying and it's like i get this is a trope in literally almost all the anime shows that I've seen and like all these games that I've played but even then it is so egregious and the point the point of contention for me is that especially for the women the women's characters the foundation for their personalities and their characters is loving the male characters while the boys get to actually be and have mm. interesting stories and so i think that's partly why right. that queer relationship works because it's between a gender queer character and a character who is a man and they are not beholden to this weird constant objectification and reduction that the women in this game have i mean the the punk girl i forget their the names of all these characters except uh, for like two yuki of them. are you talking yeah, about yuki? probably yeah, yeah and, with and the, the red hair girl. yeah 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 like their their whole motivation like 99 percent of that game is just them like uh, especially with the 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 there's a name for this um character archetype in japanese media i've totally forget what it is like river city girls type girl yuki i think is um if you're right uh that character like her whole motivation in this game is is her caring about another like female character and like being her friend and stuff like that and then, like, but that is also the same character that at the end is pushed to be with this male character that she absolutely hated and had absolutely no attraction to. And that is ultimately what the game ends on. Not on her caring for Minami, but it ends on her and um, what's-his-face getting together. Like, do you remember that part? No, like, I right. could not. I remember what scene you're talking about. Like, I don't... Like, they like they're do. out on the school gates and... Yeah, totally. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. Um, but I'm just saying, like the the majority of the game, like they, again, like they they go for a very neat tie everything up with a bow sort of ending where they don't want a complicated, messy feelings around like the romance, uh, like the romantic elements of the game. So like they mm-hmm. try to make sure that everybody you you establish like nope, everybody was happy in the end because it is a happy ending game. It's not a game that like anybody really gets left out in the cold, and they go out they go to great pains to make sure that that is the case for basically literally everyone, even mm-hmm. characters who. Are not physically real which is a funny thing i just wish um, it wasn't at the cost of the women getting some actual writing like for example i it was so jarring to play as ryoko shinonome in the destruction mode and she would like that bitch destroyed everything like she was my number <laughs> one like she was killing people left and right and like i just had to sit back and let her do her own thing um it was so fun to play as her, but, and I, at the beginning, I was like, oh, I think I, 
I am drawn to this character archetype. So there is, I can see myself liking her, but ultimately her character just amounts to this incredible obsession that she has for a significantly older male character that constantly takes advantage of her. Um, Megumi her entire character foundation is loving Juro Kurabe, but not actually Juro Kurabe because it's his clone who treats her pretty shittily (laughs) and they still end up together at the end. And like, you really don't get a sense of why she even loved Juro Kurabe because the game doesn't actually explore that. Uh, Minami and Keitaro, uh, they end up fine. Like they're, they're cute. Like I get the appeal. Um, what other okay. characters? We, okay. pro- we probably don't have to go down the entire list of every Fuyusaka, all, all when she, characters. When she tells the dude that she loves him on the motorcycle <laughs> and she barely knows him. Like, I, I just, I have so many issues with the way these characters, these female characters were written. Um, the men are allowed to just have like really interesting characters, like stories, like not so, like not vastly complicated things. Again, like this is the kind of game that we have it's kind of like a soap opera not like really complicated not really you know trying to be messy um but they're they're entertaining and grounded enough in a foundation that is not tied to their romances while the girls are and that just really bugged me the entire way a lot a lot of this conversation is interesting to me because like there are (sighs) i typically want my stories and this is just a taste thing and not like it a good or bad thing, but it's like, I want my stories to mostly be a little more complex from an emotional and like interpersonal standpoint and less complex from like the moving parts thing. And Aegis mm-hmm. room sounds like the polar opposite of that. Yes. Of just like, like things are pretty like simple in terms of how these things, how these people kind of interact with each other. It's not always like that clean, I guess it sounds like, but the, the mechanics with which like every piece of the word world building or like moving seems incredibly complex. Um, so I don't know. That's just like an interesting, I don't know that that's, that's fairly interesting to me. It reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of Kojima, honestly, a little bit, like in terms of just like making the world building so complex. But yes. then when you boil down a lot of the the basic interpersonal relationships, they're like really not that complicated. Um, but I don't know if I don't know how I don't know how far I want to take that comparison. But, uh, I but yeah, agree. I don't know. This seems seems like an I don't know. Seems like a really interesting game. Um, yeah, I would agree because like I I think of these characters last as like actual characters and more like archetypes that are they're sort of pawns that fit their intended purpose to carry the story forward but aside from ironically the the gender queer character and their partner like i think the other characters fall really flat for me okay the the one the last thing i'll i'll say about this i think uh natalie is i i agree with you in terms of like the um uh the f- final romantic like epilogue thing being like very simple for all of the women characters or most of them mm-hmm. the one thing i would say where i disagree with you is that mm-hmm. you are vastly overvaluing how interesting and <laughs> how much interiority the men also get because <laughs> <not like, laughs> the, the thing is i think this game is very very schmaltzy and simple across the board and that's mm-hmm. just what it's going for. I don't think yeah. it's like 
we really put our heart and soul into Juro Karabe over No, here. they it's didn't. Like, they really no. didn't. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of where, like, that's what I'm saying is like, I think like the whole thing is just like very, very two dimensional um, throughout, um, you know, because it's a 2D game. You're and, absolutely right. And, and that's that. And then that's why I'm able to kind of just like accept it as what it is on top of, you know, uh, right. Accept it for what it is at face value in that yeah. way and just be mm-hmm. like, oh, I played this and it's like, oh, this is fine. Zero escape is way fucking better. Uh, I think Dengar part is of it is the expectations that were placed upon it for me. Um, and like there's this thing that that, of course, I've done in the past and that I try not to nowadays where like people easily like get guilt trippy about others not checking out like the things certain, that they like yeah like a specific game that seems to do something new and really cool and yeah. for me i guess it's part of the expectations that were placed upon this game for me and like i really think positioning it as the 2020 near automata did not that's absurd i mean i just just saw the fucking the ship in space in like you know like trying to make a another world or whatever someone's like saw that and they're like oh it's like near automata (laughs) like it is an aggressively fine game that tries to do too much falls under that weight but it's kind of like eh you know eh. right Whatever. That's how I felt about it. Good yeah, enough. it's just like at the end of the day, I was like, "Oh, okay, I didn't hate my time with this. The combat was satisfying, and it's like, oh, it's 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 a nice enough ending, I guess. It's way overcomplicated, like you said. It, it like the plot collapses under its own weight, but it's like, yeah, it's fine. All right. Um, but it also it's very pretty, and like I said, I think it, like I uh, I appreciate that there is a subclass of people out there now who have gotten into this game and might be a little bit more open minded about like playing other stuff in the future. Right. I think that does definitely get annoying when it goes the other way around when people see stuff like this and they're like you've got to see this it's so like revelatory <laughs> and then you know you've played like uh 17 other things that do what this thing is trying to do way fucking better <laughs> right, but right, yeah. this industry has such a short memory and like such a oftentimes such a very narrow view of like what is actually uh you know available to play so you know we should definitely wrap this sucker up, though, uh, unless anybody had anything like very quick to say at the end here. I just think it's really funny that we've gotten Enron on like three podcast episodes already, including the one last week where we like pushed him to come on we, at the we last minute. Him. Yeah. And, and, we, <laughs> and we don't get him on for the 13 Sentinels one when he's been talking about this game and how like much he t- loves it. Like 10, oh, 10, has he? 10 minutes in, I was like, well, this was a, this was a dumb thing that we did. So we'll have to do it in a minute at some point. I, like I didn't realize that, that he loved this game. If yeah. I had known, I would have pushed uh, to have him on. Yeah. I, this is the first time hearing about this. Yeah. Oh. Ron loves this game. Oops, 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 oops. <laughs> well, Ron will make it up to you next time. We will. I won't, next time that you're on, I won't believe just, for I your username. I don't know. Y'all, Channel F talked about Clockwork Night, and I wasn't on the episode, so it's like it just happens. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit and seethe when I listen to that part because I can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. And Ron, you know, it's it, it's an initiation. You know, all can't of us have that. to sit here. Listen to one of us pop off about something that they're an expert on, and we just yeah. can't do anything about it. And it's, it's also true, Jordan. By the way, it is actually a total lie. Imran, what? It's oh. true. It's a lie. Like this it's- is just like the twist at the end of Thirteen's at Nothing. It's all true. <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> that was actually really funny. Oh my god. 
<laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to tell you that I know that I bully both of you so much. I just wanted to tell you when something was actually funny. That was pretty funny. Thanks, Natalie. Th- thanks, Natalie. No, for it wasn't for you, John. It was ever- for Steven. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go. We Don't have feel to good, go. John. John, have you have to, to earn my compliments. Go what play your fucking licensed Super Nintendo Toy Story game, fucking Clockwork, whatever the fuck over there, and, wow. and sit down. Wow. You haven't listened to that episode. Of no, Channel I haven't. So that sounds that sounds violent to me. All right. Uh, thanks for the knowledge. Thanks for the knowledge, everybody. Um, thank you for listening to another episode of 99 Potions. This one got off the rails really fucking Just like bad. 13 Sentinels. No, it didn't. Yeah. We, we, talked about, we talked about the game the entire time. What are y'all talking about? This is fun. Yep, we it, talked it's about, that the um, game itself is off the rails. Yeah. So like the moment that John started with that first rapid fire question, it was just, it was just it was over. wild. Yeah, it was over. Anyway. Yes, it's over just like Clockwork Night, the game that we talked about all episode for this episode of 99 Potions. Thank you so much for listening to this special. And uh, where can people find you, Natalie? Uh, you can find me not talking about this game on Twitter at Hardy Mesa. That's heart I-M-E-C-I-A. I like to talk about games with uh, vastly less complex and nonsensical stories like Final Fantasy. <laughs> where can people find you john um when i'm not borrowing natalie's one brain cell you can find me at floppy adult <laughs> um on twitter.com uh you can find me on twitter.com at steven strum s-t-e-v-e-n-s-t-r-o-m and you can find jordan on uh, twitter at jordan underscore mallory or follow uh the goodwill goblin a twitter account for some incredible finds uh from the the good good store called goodwill uh and the wild shit that they do uh you can go to our discord to leave questions for various shows that we do probably not usually this one we're not a questions heavy show but we love questions on channel f our main video game podcast which you can uh send to us uh by going to fanbyte.casa joining the discord and going into the podcast questions channel that's the best way to get in touch with us and you can also rate and review us on itunes spotify stitcher whatever it is that you listen to us on to uh help spread the word you know and just in general spread the word to your friends your family anybody you think that might be interested in shows like these we appreciate it very very much um i think that's gonna do it for us all together except for the uh most important sort of uh like the little seal the wax seal on this bottle of uh good content that we've given you we're gonna pop it real quick and uh take a big old Thank you.